Good morning, everyone, and happy Resurrection Sunday. This is certainly a different Easter than any of us have probably ever experienced before, but we're still going to celebrate today. If this is your very first time tuning in to a Life Church Buffalo experience, my name is Pete, and it is my honor to welcome all of you tuning in online in hundreds of homes around Western New York, but not only that, we are literally reaching thousands of people around the country. As we join with billions of other believers around the world today to celebrate the greatest event in human history, the event that changed everything, the event on which our faith is built. You know, church buildings around the country may be empty today, but that has something in common with the tomb that they laid Jesus' body in. It is also empty. God's son and our savior, Jesus Christ, rose from the dead. He is alive forevermore. I hope you're getting excited in your homes right now because he is risen. He is risen indeed. So we are in part two of a message series that we began last week. And if you are new to church, you might be wondering, well, what is a message series? Well, we like to kind of take a topic that is relevant to all of our lives. Maybe it's a Bible passage or a chapter or a book of the Bible and spend three, four, five weeks just kind of unpacking what God's word has to say and how we can apply it to our lives so that we can live the lives that Jesus taught us to live. And we began a series last week called Things Jesus Never Said. Now, you might be wondering, why would you want to talk about things Jesus didn't say in church? Well, let me explain. If you read in certain Bibles, they will put the words that Jesus spoke in red ink so that you know when you're reading things Jesus actually said. And when you read those words, a lot of times they're shocking words. They seem otherworldly. They're polarizing. They're powerful. And a lot of times what happens is we like to kind of take a look at some of the common beliefs and sayings that people have in culture that they believe to be true about God or about faith when in reality, they're things Jesus never said. If you've been around church for a while, you might take for granted the power of what Jesus said. And if you've not been around church, then there are so many things being said about him that it's difficult to know what he did say and what he didn't say. And so we're gonna contrast some of the things that he didn't say, some of the things that you might believe he said, some of the things that you might have heard and compare them with what he did say so that we can really grasp the power of some of the things that Jesus said. To start off the message today, I wanted to begin on a humorous note. I found this funny Easter-themed meme this week in preparation for this message. Uh, speaking of things Jesus didn't say as we celebrate Easter, Jesus never said, YOLO, for those of you that don't know, YOLO is social media speak for you only live once. Jesus never said that. It'd be like, LOL, JK, BRB. And if you don't know what any of those mean, it's laugh out loud, just kidding, be right back. I thought that was kind of a funny way to begin our Easter message today as we talk about things Jesus didn't say. Now, last week we started the series talking about this very popular notion in our culture that God will never give you more than you can handle. So many people believe that's actually in the Bible, but we learned Jesus never said that. Today, we are going to continue our series and our discussion by looking at another popular uh, saying and belief that you might have heard in culture today, which is that you can live your own truth, that it doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you are sincere in that. 
And quite honestly, at first glance, that kind of sounds good, doesn't it? That our God is just so big and so loving that it doesn't really matter what you believe as, as long as you're sincere in it and you'll probably be okay. And who really knows what's true anyway so you can live and pick your own truth. I call this feel-good theology. It just kind of feels good to believe that to be true. And we see this all the time in our culture today. When you're talking to different people, you might hear someone talking to a friend who's going through a hard time and hear them say something like, well, you're a good person, so it'll turn out okay. You're a good person. You know, I've officiated dozens of funerals, and I hear this all the time as people are grappling with the loss of a loved one and wanting to believe that they're in a better place. And so you'll hear them describe the deceased person as like, you know, they weren't really a religious person, but you know, they're in a much better place now and they're looking down on us from above. You hear things in culture today like, you know, all roads lead to God. All religions are basically the same. It doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you're sincere in your belief. And there's no such thing as absolute truth. So you get to just pick and live your own truth. Beliefs like that have led people like Oprah Winfrey to say something like this. This is an Oprah Winfrey quote. One of the biggest mistakes humans make is to believe there's only one way. Actually, she says, there are many diverse paths leading to God. And another time she said, live your own truth. And that's what we're talking about today. This popular notion that you can live your own truth, she said, because life is too short. You know, when it comes to talking about God and spirituality in our culture, I have found that there's really not a whole lot of controversy that is, you know, spiked when people talk about spirituality. You can hear athletes in post-game press conferences or actors giving a Grammy speech or something like that saying things like, well, I give all the credit to God. We have talk show hosts talking about, you know, a higher power and spirituality, and there's no controversy that's created when those things are talked about. But when is there controversy? There's controversy as soon as someone starts to mention the name of Jesus. You could talk about God, you could talk about spirituality all day long, you could talk about a higher power, and nobody really cares, there's no controversy. But as soon as you mention the name of Jesus, that's when things get really interesting. And what's interesting to me about that is that almost no one debates Jesus' existence. Even his detractors acknowledge that he actually lived. There's a quote I found from historian Paul Mayer who said, the total evidence of Jesus' life is so overpowering, so absolute, that only the shallowest of intellects would dare to deny Jesus' existence. Not only that, but most people love his teachings. I mean, he taught us to love one another, to help the poor, to forgive people, to serve one another. I mean, even if you hate Christianity, it's hard to find any fault with his teachings. So, Not only do detractors not debate his existence and people find it hard to question the beauty and the power of his teachings. So why do so many people get so upset when you mention his name? And I think it has primarily to do with the exclusivity of Christ. The exclusive claim that he made is what gets everyone so rattled and bent out of shape. I'm referring, of course, to what he said in John chapter 14, verse 6, when Jesus said, I am the way and the truth. We're talking about this notion that you can live your own truth, that it doesn't matter what you believe. But Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. 
No one, he said, comes to the Father except through me. Boom. There it is. This bold claim that he is the only way to the Father is what sets Christianity apart from all of the other religions of the world in a huge way. And that is what so many people have a problem with. This claim flies in the face of the live your own truth mentality because truth is more than just a set of beliefs. Truth is a person and according to Jesus, he is the only truth. Now, as we look at this concept of you can live your own truth, I wanna spend a few moments just kind of comparing some of the different religions of the world today. And we have to acknowledge that while there is some beauty and some truth in many of the world religions, they are not all the same. For example, Buddhism says that there is no God, there is no type of final existence, that there is just countless rebirths and the goal would be to reach the state of nirvana and eventually end the cycle of countless rebirths. Now, these descriptions are certainly an oversimplification, but I just wanna give you kind of an overview of what some of the religions of the world believe. Hinduism, on the other hand, has a very impersonal God, actually thousands of gods that are approached through, you know, deities and statues and idols. And neither Buddhism nor Hinduism offer any forgiveness of sins, nor do they offer any type of supernatural help. They only have what they call karma, which is that if you do good things, then good things will happen to you. And if you do bad things or if you treat people badly, then, you know, bad things are going to happen to you. What goes around comes around is a very karma type belief. Then there is Islam, which does have a personal God. It worships Allah and there are no secondary gods. All right. There's a ban on all idols and your standing with Allah depends on your religious devotion and your works. Then you've got new age philosophy and there is no personal God in new age. There's just this connection with the cosmos, this higher consciousness and this desire to be one with the universe. And then you have Christianity, which of course does have a very personal God. So personal, he sent his son Jesus to show us what he looks like and to, to show us God's love and to offer forgiveness for our sins which isn't dependent on our own merit, but it's all based on God's love and his goodness towards us. So we have to acknowledge that while there is some beauty and some truth in all of the religions of the world, they are not all the same. And so when someone says you can live your own truth and it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere, any objective person has to look at that saying and kind of realize not only did Jesus not say that, but it's also not true. Because for the most part, every religion in the world says it does matter what you believe. And Jesus claimed to be the truth. You can't live your own truth if he is the only truth that leads to God. And so as I begin this message, I want to start by saying that obviously I'm coming at this from the perspective of someone who is a Jesus follower. I happen to believe and have been convinced that Jesus is who he claimed to be. And so if you wanna say that I'm starting out biased, then I guess we have to start there. But I wanna ask you something very simple today. I'm not sure where you're at on the spectrum of faith, whether you are watching this as someone who is a believer in Jesus and you are celebrating this day because of the empty tomb, or maybe it's what you do on Easter and Christmas is it's tradition to go to church. 
And maybe somebody just invited you and because you're cooped up in your house, there's nothing better to do but to maybe tune in and watch a church service. But I wanna ask you to just do something very simple today. Would you just consider Jesus? Would you consider Jesus and then decide for yourself what you believe about faith and eternal life? I wanna ask you to consider three different things today. And as I ask you to consider Jesus, I'm not asking you to consider our church. I'm not even asking you to consider, you know, Christianity as a religion. I don't believe Jesus came to establish a religion. He came to show the love of God to people who needed a savior. And I'm not even asking you to consider, you know, the lifestyle of supposed Christians or people who claim to be Christians. Because you can meet two different people who claim to be Christian and their lives look nothing alike. You can meet one person and be like, wow, that person's very kind. And if Christianity was real, I feel like this person does a pretty good job of modeling, you know, what it means to be a Christian. And then you got this other person you meet who also claims to be a Christian and they're narrow-minded and bigoted and judgmental. And, and so listen, I'm not asking you to consider any of that. Just consider Jesus today. And I want you to consider three things. And the first thing is consider the ministry of Jesus. Consider the ministry of Jesus, who he was and what he did. How did he live his life? To those that were despised and rejected, Jesus loved and accepted. To those that religion rejected and pushed away, Jesus reached out to and brought close. You know, when we talk about considering the ministry of Jesus, there's a great exchange that takes place in Mark's gospel, where the religious leaders of Jesus' day questioned his disciples about why he hung out with certain types of people. Let's take a look at Mark 2, verses 16 and 17. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, Pharisees were like the religious leaders of Jesus' day, saw Jesus eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with those people? Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Because for them, they were religious people. And so they felt like it was their duty to, to kind of distance themselves from the sin and the filth of the world so they could be holy and be like God. And on hearing this, Jesus says this to them in verse 17. He said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And then Jesus kind of summarizes the whole reason he came, his ministry, if you will, was to come to call the righteous. I've not come to call the righteous, he said, but sinners. I've not come to call people who think they're already right with God. I've come to call sinners. That's the ministry of Jesus. And that's why he hung out with those people. As Pastor Andy Stanley says, people who were nothing like Jesus liked Jesus, and Jesus liked people who were nothing like him. He came for sinners. He came for people like you and like me who just can't seem to get it right. Consider the ministry of Jesus. What did he do when he walked this earth? John wrote that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. And how did he do that? Well, he opened blind eyes. He healed deaf ears. He caused the mute to speak. He healed lepers. He multiplied a few loaves of bread and a couple of fish to feed thousands of people, not once, but twice. He even raised the dead to life. And what's crazy is that when you read the gospel accounts, his critics didn't even question his miracles. They just wanted him to stop. 
because it was disrupting everything. And, you know, they didn't think that, you know, somebody like him should be able to do that. And it was upsetting the whole religious system. So they weren't questioning his miracles. They just wanted him to stop. So if you look at his miracles, some of you right now, as you watch this, you are a miracle of the ministry of Jesus. People in our church whose lives have been completely transformed by the power of Jesus Christ former drug addicts and alcoholics who were saved and rescued by the grace of Jesus Christ. People who are heading down a dark, dark path who met Jesus and were able to turn their lives around because of the ministry of Jesus. Some of you watching this are miracles of the ministry of Jesus. My father was a miracle of the ministry of Jesus. Before he met Jesus, he was not a nice person. He was a very angry, very violent man. He was in a biker gang. He once held my mom at knife point before I was born. And then he met Jesus and everything changed. Consider the ministry of Jesus, who he was, who he hung around with, and what he did. He didn't come to call the righteous. He came for sinners. The second thing I want to ask you to consider today is the resurrection of Jesus. Obviously, today is Easter, the day when Christians around the world celebrate the fact that three days after he was brutally tortured and executed, hung on an instrument of torture known as a cross, the stone that they placed over the grave that they put him in was rolled away and he was not in it. Jesus had risen from the dead. And again, not many people deny his existence and his death on the cross is a historical fact. But most non-believers think it's foolish to believe that someone could have died, come back to life, and then never die again. Now, I want to suggest to you today that there are actually two strands of evidence to support the fact that Jesus came back to life. And the first is that his tomb was empty, and the second is that he appeared to people. So after Jesus died, he was placed in a tomb that belonged to a man named Joseph of Arimathea. He was a member of the Jewish council. The tomb was sealed and Matthew's gospel records that it was guarded, yet it was discovered empty on that first Easter morning. So how do we know the tomb was empty? Three ways. First is what is the Jerusalem factor. Scholar William Lane Craig points out that the site of Jesus' tomb was known to both his followers and everyone else, people who didn't believe in or follow Jesus Christ. So if the claim was false, if the tomb was not empty, it would have been highly unlikely for a movement founded on Jesus' resurrection to explode or even exist to begin with in the place where his, his public death and execution was known to all. The critics of Christianity could have simply opened the tomb and pointed to his dead and decaying body that had been placed there just days earlier. This would have effectively ended the movement that we now know as Christianity. Second is the embarrassment factor. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, we know from the gospel accounts that it was actually women who first discovered the empty tomb. But in first century Jewish and Roman culture, the testimony of women was considered unreliable. Women were not even allowed to testify in a court of law back then. I'm just telling you the way it was back then. So if the gospel writers were going to make up a story about the empty tomb out of thin air, then they certainly would have never said that women discovered it empty because that was embarrassing and would have hurt their cause. They would have said maybe a man like John or Peter discovered it empty. 
Yet they reported that it was women who found it empty. Why? Well, because that's what actually happened. They were committed to reporting the truth, even if it was embarrassing and hurt their cause. Third is the fact that even the enemies of Jesus admitted that the tomb was empty. You see, the skeptics in Jesus' day were saying that the disciples had stolen the body. This was reported by Matthew, by Justin Martyr, as well as Tertullian. But why would someone say that someone stole the body if it was still in the tomb? They're implicitly admitting that the tomb is empty, but they're trying to explain how it got empty. It's like when your student comes to you if you're a teacher and says, I'm sorry, my dog ate my homework. They're implicitly admitting that they don't have their homework. They're just trying to give you a reason why they don't have it. It's a cover-up story. It's the same thing. Even the enemies of Jesus admitted the tomb was vacant. So the real question is, how did the tomb get vacant? Some skeptics will say that Roman soldiers kind of stole the body or moved it. Now, the Roman soldiers weren't about to take the body. They, they wanted Jesus to stay dead because like, this whole thing was creating a ruckus in the region and they wanted to squelch this thing before it became a riot. So they would have loved for nothing more than to provide evidence for a dead body. So that argument goes right out the window. Some say, as I said earlier, that disciples stole the body. Do you mean to tell me that these disciples overpowered, trained, and armed Roman guards? They didn't have the motive, the means, or the opportunity to steal the body. And do you really expect any rational thinking person to believe that 11 small town, uneducated, average men devised the most elaborate con job in the history of the world and pulled it off and kept it a secret? all with no personal motives and only great personal loss and suffering as a result of their proclamation that Jesus had risen from the dead with all but one of them even dying for their faith? Why would they do that? People don't die for a lie. They were willing to die because they were eyewitnesses. The tomb was empty. He was not dead. He was alive again and they saw him. Only one person of the original 12 disciples originally doubted. I'm sure you know who it was. We have a nickname based on him. It's Doubting Thomas. You know, there was an account of Jesus appearing to a group of the disciples when Thomas wasn't in the room. And when he returned, Jesus had left and the disciples were trying to explain it to Thomas. He's like, no way, mm -mm. unless I put my fingers where the nails went through his hands and I put my hand in his side, I will not believe. And then all of a sudden, Jesus shows up. And it says this in John 20, verse 27. Jesus said to Thomas, go ahead, Thomas, put your fingers here. See my hands? Go ahead, put, put your hand and put it in my side. And then he says this, stop doubting and believe. And that's a word for some of you today. You need to stop doubting and believe. That's the words of Jesus. And then Thomas responds to that by saying, my Lord and my God. And then Jesus answers him and says, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's us. There are people today who have not seen Jesus, but have believed because of the testimony of those who did see Jesus. 
Thomas would become an evangelist. He was so convinced that he had seen the risen Christ. He would take the message of Jesus all the way down to the southern part of India, some 2,000 or so miles away from Jerusalem. And he would become a martyr for the faith, trying to convert people and, and tell people about the love of Jesus, that they could be made right with God by placing their faith in him. They captured him. And they asked him to renounce his faith and he refused and they put a spear through his body. I was actually in India two months ago and was at the site of St. Thomas's tomb where they buried him. Why would someone who had once doubted be willing to die for that message? It's because he was an eyewitness. He had seen the risen Christ and the disciples weren't the only ones who saw him either. There were numerous appearances of the risen Jesus to various people in various settings. Look at what the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 8. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that was Peter, and then to the 12, after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have passed away, some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also. That is a lot of people who saw Jesus. And get this, we have not one, not two, not three, we have nine ancient sources confirming that the disciples were convinced they had seen the risen Savior, that he had appeared to them. Four of those nine sources are the four gospels. Now, if you're a skeptic or a doubter, you might say, well, of course, the Bible is going to support the claim that Jesus rose from the dead. But Craig Evans, a New Testament scholar, says this, there's every reason to conclude that the gospels have fairly and accurately reported the essential elements of Jesus' teachings, life, death, and resurrection. They're early enough, there's continuity, there's proximity, and there's verification of certain distinct points with archeology span and other documents. So the gospels are reliable. And so you, you still might say, well, of course the Bible is going to say that. Is there anything that's not in the Bible that, that supports that Jesus rose from the dead. And in fact, there is. There are letters written by two different men that have survived antiquity, written by a guy named Clement and another one by Polycarp, written in the first century, both of which mention the resurrection no less than six times. So we have nine ancient sources, some biblical, some extra biblical, that reflect early testimonies to the disciples' conviction that Jesus had risen from the dead. The evidence, you guys, is powerful and persuasive. There is overwhelming evidence to consider the resurrection of Jesus actually happened. Just consider it. Again, I'm not asking you to consider the church. I'm not asking you to consider Christians. We are imperfect. I'm just asking you to consider Jesus. Consider his ministry, that he came for sinners and performed miracles. Consider the resurrection that there were eyewitnesses willing to die because they saw Jesus alive after he had been killed. The final thing I wanna ask you to consider is the eternal message of Jesus. Consider the eternal message 
of Jesus. What is the message of Jesus? I think it's best encapsulated in an exchange that Jesus had with a very close friend of his named Martha, which is recorded in John's gospel, chapter 11. Jesus said this in verse 25. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And then he says this to her, this question, do you believe this? And this is a question that every single person has to answer for themselves. This is the message of Jesus, that he is the resurrection and the life. And the one who believes in him will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in him will never die. He's talking about eternal life here. Do you believe this? That's the message of Jesus. He never said you can live your own truth. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He never said it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere in it. He said that whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Christ is the only way. It's Christ plus nothing. And mankind for centuries has been trying to add things to it because we think we've got we've to do something to earn our salvation. It's Christ plus nothing. It's not Christ plus good works. It's not Christ plus church membership. It's not Christ plus giving money in the offering. It's not Christ plus cleaning up your act and stop saying bad things and thinking bad thoughts. It's Christ plus nothing. In Christ alone, we have new life. In Christ alone, we are made new. In Christ alone, we have forgiveness of sins. Christ plus nothing equals everything. It equals eternal life. I'm not talking about religion here. I'm talking about a relationship. Jesus didn't come to create a religion. He wanted us to have a relationship with our heavenly father. He came to show us the love of God. Religion is all about what I can do to, to appease God or to please God or to make him happy, to make up for the things that I've done wrong. But relationship says, no, it's about what Jesus has already done for you. You can't do anything else. Religion says, if I obey God, then God will accept me and he'll love me. But relationship says, because God loves me, I can obey. It's not an effort to gain his love. It's a response to his eternal love that was there all the time. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. God doesn't love you because of what you do or don't do. He loves you because it's who he is. God is love. It's not just what he does, it's who he is. And there is nothing you can do to make him love you any more than he already does. And there's nothing you can do to make him love you any less than he does right now. God loves you because it's who he is. Consider the eternal message of Jesus, which the apostle Paul summarizes in his letter to the Romans when he says this in Romans 3.22, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, and here's the good news, no matter who we are. How are we made right with God? By placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone, no matter who we are, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter how many sins you've committed, no matter how dark your life is right now, no matter if you've hated Christianity before, no matter if you are angry and bitter in your heart right now, 
Doesn't matter who you are. It's true for everyone who believes, no matter who they are. We are made right with God by placing our faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is that simple. And some of you might say, well, it sounds just too good to be true. And I would say to you in response to that, it is too good not to be true because no one would make up a God who would leave heaven to become a human and experience all of the pain and suffering that human beings experience. To to die in our place, to offer forgiveness for our sins. Nobody would make that up. That's what makes it the gospel. That's what makes it good news that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, but it's his will that all should come and that none should perish. This is true for everyone who believes, no matter who you are. Consider the ministry and the miracles of Jesus. Consider the resurrection of Jesus today, which has evidence to back it up. And consider the eternal message of Jesus, which is true for everyone who believes, no matter who they are. Not because you're good, but because our God is that good. Jesus never said that you can live your own truth. He said he is the truth. He never said it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. He said it matters if you believe in him, you'll have eternal life. Let me pray for you today. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the empty tomb. We thank you that on this day, some 2,000 years ago, our God conquered death, hell, and the grave by walking out of that tomb to never return again. I pray for my brothers and sisters who have already placed their faith in you and who have been made right with you because of that faith. And God, I pray that the Easter story, the resurrection of Jesus would be more than just a story to them. Lord, for those that have been following you a long time and have maybe grown complacent or, or just weary and the power of this event has lost its impact on their lives, God, would you just make it fresh and new in our lives that we would live in such a way that we, will, we believe that this actually happened. God, we thank you that you are the way, the truth, and the life and that we can come to the Father because we've placed our faith in you. And for those of you who are watching this right now, listening in your living rooms or wherever you're watching from, perhaps you've had that belief that, you know what, as long as I'm not hurting anyone, I can believe whatever I want, as long as I'm sincere in it and and all paths lead to God. But this morning you're realizing that when you consider the ministry of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus and the fact that, the message of Jesus is exclusive, that there is only one way to heaven, and that is by placing your faith in Jesus Christ today. Maybe you've never done that before, but guess what? Today you have that opportunity. That's why Jesus came, to open the door for anyone who believes, no matter who they are, to be made right with God. And so I wanna give you that opportunity today. I don't know if you're a seeker. I don't know if you're a skeptic. I don't know if you're a doubter, an agnostic, or an atheist, or maybe you just grew up and never really even considered faith. You were just living your life and it's never played a major role in your life. But today you know that your heavenly father desires a relationship with you. And it's as simple as placing your faith in Jesus. So will you pray these words with me? 
right now, wherever you're at, in your living room, in your bedroom, in your office, wherever you're watching this, just say, Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die for my sins. I'm a sinner in need of a savior. And that's why you died for me. I wanna be right with you. I want a relationship with you. So Jesus, will you forgive me of my sins? Will you cleanse me and wash me and make me brand new? Now fill me with your Holy Spirit and give me the strength and the power to know you, to live for you, to follow you and serve you for the rest of my life. My life is not my own because I give it to you. Be my savior and my Lord. And all God's people said, amen and amen. I'm so excited that on the day we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, I believe right now there are a whole lot of people that just crossed over from death to life and have been made new. Scripture says that if anyone be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. I wanna welcome those of you who prayed that prayer just now to the family of God. Welcome to the journey. So excited for you guys. We're gonna continue this series next week. God bless. Have a great Easter Sunday. Remember, he is risen. He is risen indeed. We'll see you next week.